Hi, I'm Steve, and uh, I'll bring you the second reading today, which is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will be blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steve. Isn't it uh, nice to see the Christmas decorations? I mean, who would have thought chop up a fruit? Let it ferment a bit and stick it on a tree, and it actually looks good. So thank you to Hannah and her team. I was wondering whether you can do that with durian, you know, my wife's favourite fruit. But I suspect people would stick away, stay away. Uh, keep your Bibles open to Luke 1. We'll work our way through this passage, uh, but let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on this song of Mary, that her joy may be ours as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, did you know that singing carols could be dangerous? Now, I'm not talking about singing out of tune. I mean, that's quite dangerous. Imagine standing next to someone who sings out of tune. That can just hurt your ear. But some carols have been considered too dangerous to sing. There was a time in our state of Victoria in 2015 when our state government banned Christmas carols in the state schools. Remember that? A few years ago? Well, they didn't ban all Christmas carols, only the ones that refer to God and Jesus. But if you want to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman, go for your life. But these other ones, they may cause offence. But there's another carol that was banned in three different countries at different times. In fact, it's the very carol, the first carol ever composed. Not Silent Night, not even Joy to the World. It was the carol composed by Mary. And the carol we're looking at today, 
the first Christmas carol ever composed. In fact, over the next few weeks, we'll be considering the first four carols of Christmas. Today, we'll look at the carol of, of Mary. Next week, it'll be Zechariah. At our carol service, it'll be that of the angels. And on Christmas Day, it'll be Simeon's song. But what was so dangerous about Mary's song? I mean, this was a song of a young, lowly teenager. Why was it banned in those countries? Well, back in the early 1800s, it was banned in British rural India. It was prohibited by the British authorities because the song it, it sent this wrong message of uprising, and so there was that fear of uprising, so it was banned. Or in Argentina, in the 70s, during the Dirty War, the mothers, they placed the words of the Magnificat on posters and placed them around the plaza in the capital, and the military junta of Argentina, they outlawed the public display of these words. Again, for fear, it was too revolutionary. Or even in the 80s in Guatemala, when the government discovered that the words of these songs meant that God's love was for the poor and that God would overthrow the rulers, it sounded too dangerous, too subversive and too revolutionary. But what was it about this song that could cause such fear? with even those, even amongst those who had such authority? What was it that caused such fear when it was sung and believed by the people? Well, that's what we'll be considering today. And hopefully as we consider this song, we'll look at Christmas with fresh eyes. And we'll also have this renewed desire to join in with Mary's song. In fact, it was beautiful to begin this service with that, that hymn, Tell Out My Soul, that was based on this carol. Well, let's have a look at this passage, and we'll look at it in three parts. First, a joyful visit. Second, a grateful soul. And third, to an awesome, glorious God. So first, a joyful visit. Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. Now, I want you to think about her journey as she made the journey from her place to Elizabeth's place, a journey that would have taken about four days. Put yourself in Mary's shoe for a moment. How do you process what she just encountered? She just encountered an angel of God and the angel said to her, you are going to become pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And not just any child, this child will be the son of God. And you know your relative Elizabeth? Well, she's going to have a child as well. And so Mary, she must have been wondering, how could this be? Elizabeth's old, how can she? But yet she believed. And on this journey, you can just sense, if you were in Mary's shoe, this sense of anticipation. Elizabeth's pregnant, I'm pregnant, we've got a lot to share, a lot to talk about. But not only that, what else do you think would have been going through her mind on this four-day journey? I'm engaged to Joseph. I'm pregnant. What will I tell him? Is he going to divorce me? What do I tell my parents, my father? I'm pregnant, out of wedlock. What will my community say about me? Will they believe me? And so you can just imagine these things going through her mind on this day. Her mind non-stop, her heart, there was joy, but yet this sense of stigma, excitement, but yet anxiety. But then this was a visit that she needed. 
And I think in the providence of God, it was a visit she needed because she had to hear the words of Elizabeth. She had to hear the words of what Elizabeth was going to say to her. So that her faith in what the angel had already promised would become rock-solid faith. Because what did Elizabeth say when Mary finally arrived? I mean, what would you expect Elizabeth to say, given her own story? Hey, Mary, you will not believe this. Look at me. I'm old, but I'm pregnant. I'm six months pregnant. You just have to listen to this story. The story began with Zachariah. He was on duty in the temple, and then and then look at me now. I mean, Elizabeth could have started that way, couldn't she? But she didn't say that. In fact, Elizabeth didn't even talk about herself. Have a look at verse 41 with me. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some might say she's six months pregnant. Babies move around their mothers all the time. Nothing too special about that. You call that, what is it, bricks and hicks or bracks and hacks, whatever you call it. Babies move. But that's not what we're told. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. The leaping of the baby inside her was not ordinary. The baby was filled with joy, and she knew because of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way you can recognize the Son of God. A bit like in the Gospel story later on when Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? And the Apostle Peter confessed, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And you remember what Jesus said? That was not revealed by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And so what happened here, Elizabeth only knew because of the Holy Spirit. But what was it that Mary needed to hear? Well, they were the very first words that came from Elizabeth's mouth. In joyful humility, almost kowtowing to Mary, because standing right there in front of her was the mother of her Saviour. This is for real, Mary. Look at what she says, verses 43 and 40, 42 and 43. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now you just have to imagine those first words from Elizabeth's mouth. How comforting, how reassuring. How uplifting those words would have been for Mary. She already believed the angel, but this made it rock solid. She knew this is for real. I'm favoured by the Lord and I'm bearing the Lord. That was a joyful visit. And so what did Mary do? Well, someone in one of the growth groups this week said, well, it's just like a musical. What happens is that you break out in song. Well, in a sense, that was what happened. Mary broke out in song. And what we have here is the first Christmas carol. And so here she begins by expressing her grateful soul. And she expresses her grateful soul with elements of the song of Hannah, with the Psalms of David. She alluded to this, this rich promises, these rich promises of the Old Testament. And so verse 46, have a look. She sings... My soul glorifies, or my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Now, to magnify, it's where we get that Latin word magnificat from. She was expressing 
what every human being must express to God, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That was what she was expressing. And just like that excellent kids talk, to magnify does not mean we make God any bigger than He is. I mean, how can you? How can we? God is already infinite in power, in glory, in holiness, in love. And so what it means to magnify God is that we bring ourselves, we bring our minds, we bring our hearts, we bring our souls to understand and adore the greatness of God. And we praise Him for it. Seeing God for who He really is. He is big and awesome and powerful and He is my Saviour. And have you noticed so far in her song, a very small word, but a very important word repeated three times. And we see this in the Greek as well. Very small word, but very important. Have you noticed? It's the word my, M-Y. Can you see how personal this song was? She doesn't sing in abstract terms, like this is about something out there. But this is a personal song. This is my song, my soul, my spirit, my saviour. Now, if that is to tell us anything at all, it should already at least tell us that though Mary was special, and she was special, she was very special, but she was not immaculate. She needed a saviour, just like every one of us. The one who will deliver this child will one day deliver her. But perhaps here it's worth just pausing and reflecting for a moment. I mean, this Christmas season we're heading into, we'll be singing. We sing each week, we'll sing in our growth groups, we'll sing at our singers' carols, we'll sing these carols. But when we sing, for example, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. When we sing those words, are we expressing, you know what? That is my joy as well. Or when we sing, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Are we also expressing, that is my adoration as well. I adore the Lord, and you come and join with me as well. You see, it's meant to be personal. It was Mary's personal song here, My soul magnifies the Lord. But not only a personal song, it was a song that expressed her robust faith. Because consider Mary's situation again. In the face of public ridicule and shame and stigma and scorn and falling pregnant out of wedlock, in the face of an uncertain future, what will Joseph do? What will my father say? Perhaps even through the eyes of frightened tears, I just don't know what will come of this. But yet, what was she able to express? Robust faith. My soul magnifies the Lord. And so Mary begins here with a song expressing her grateful soul. But why was she able to sing such a song, given her circumstances? Well, she tells us. And she sings about it. It is all about God. Do you notice? It is all about what God has done and what God will do. You can open up your Bibles, have a look at the song, and just come and glance with me. Verse 48, he has looked. Verse 49, he has done great things. Verse 50, his mercy extends. 51, he has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered. 
52. He has brought down. He has lifted up. 53. He has filled. He has sent. 54. He has helped. 55. He has spoken. It is all about God. Why was she able to sing, My soul rejoices, my soul magnifies the Lord? Because it is all about God. God has not stopped being God. What he said he will do, what God promises he will fulfill. And though there were centuries of silence, inside her was the hope of the nations, the saviour of the world. And notice what she reflects on as she works through her song, as she magnifies God. She considers God in three parts. She considers what God's eyes have seen. She considers what God's arms have done. And she considers what God's mouth has promised. And so from eyes, arms to mouth. And so why does my soul magnify the Lord? Because the Lord's eyes have looked upon the humble. Look at verse 48. For he has been mindful, or literally he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. From now all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that the ways of God are very different to the ways of this world. When God looks down upon us, he does not see as the world sees. He sees us very differently. He looks at us very differently. You see, it's very easy for the world to look down upon those who are on the margins of society. Do we do that? Those who are different from us, we look down upon them. Those who are poor, those who are poorly educated, those who have different political persuasions, or those who are old and sick and frail and insignificant, or anyone who is lower on the social pecking order, you look at it down upon them. That's the way of the world, isn't it? I mean, a few years ago, I still remember this time at my son's school when the parents gathered together for, for some supper. At this gathering, the parents were introducing ourselves, and I remember introducing myself as a minister. And I could see one of the mums look quite impressed. A minister of parliament? I said, no, a minister of a church. And down her impression of me went. <laughs> and I suspect we're all guilty of that at some point. We get impressed by the impressive. But not so with God. His eyes are upon the humble. He extends mercy to the humble, to those who fear him to those who revere him. I mean, we see this in the gospel, isn't it? The Apostle Paul. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I mean, that's how God works. Those in our society, no one notices, will not go unnoticed by God. And so here Mary can say, God has looked upon me and my humble state and he has shown me favour and I'll be called blessed for generations. It's the way of God. It's the way of the gospel to prepare us for what is to come with this Saviour. And so God looks with his eyes. 
And God also acts with his mighty arm. And that's what Mary sings about next, from his eyes to his arms. He'll bring justice. He'll right all that is wrong. The proud will be brought low, and the lowly, the humble, will be lifted up. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. The mighty Pharaoh brought down, the enslaved Israelites lifted up. The powerful Goliath brought down, the small shepherd boy in David lifted up. King Nebuchadnezzar, so powerful, but yet brought down. And the exiled Daniel lifted up. That's what God will do. That's what God has done. Look at verses 51 and 52 now. 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. I mean, aren't those words we want to hear? Because I suspect most of us, we won't be thinking we're amongst the powerful, we're amongst the rulers, we're amongst those who sit on thrones. Aren't those the needed and comforting words we want to hear? I've often wondered, as you, and I suspect you too, you just look around the world. You read the newspapers, you watch the news. And have you wondered with me, how many of the powerful of the world, the mighty, the rulers, the governments, have abused their power. We see it all too often, don't we? Have taken advantage of their position or have done some so much wickedness and evil. Will their actions ever come to see the light of day? Will they ever be held accountable or will they just get away with it? And what about those who even purport to be Christians but have caused so much harm for the church and dishonoured our Lord? I mean, you read news upon news. Every, every year there's going to be some scandal, something that happens that dishonours God, even within the church. Just yesterday, one of our elders sent me two articles and they were damning. One, abusing and taking advantage of elderly, preying on their wealth. Another about abuse in a Christian school. It must not be. But the promise here is that it will not forever be because God will bring justice. Mary's song tells us that even the inmost thoughts of the proud will not escape God's justice. No one gets away from God. Herod, as we'll we'll find out, Herod, who organized the boys to be killed, will not get away with it. Hitler and his concentration camps, he will not get away with it. Pol Pot and his killing fields will not get away with it. Those who executed the Syrian chemical attacks will not get away with it. Those in power, in authority, governments who abuse their power around the world even today will not get away with it. Now do you see how this carol was seen as a dangerous song because it is a song of trust and faith. Not in governments, not in rulers, not in wealth and riches, but in God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his justice will prevail. It is revolutionary. No wonder why he was banned. And so God acts with his mighty arm. And now we move to God's mouth, the promises he has spoken. 
even if it took thousands of years for God to fulfill his promises. I mean, by the time of Mary, it was about 2,000 years after Abraham. God has not forgotten what he promised he will fulfill. Look at verses 44 and, uh, 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And so to Abraham, all those years, all those centuries, in fact, 2,000 years of waiting, waiting for the reversal of the curse in Eden, waiting for the defeat of the serpent, waiting for the blessing of God to flow out into the world, that was all about to be fulfilled. And that was what Mary was singing about. You see, it's quite different to the songs of the Old Testament, which were sung in anticipation, waiting for God to bring about his Messiah. But this song was sung in fulfillment. The Saviour has come. And that's why Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord. He sees, he acts, and he remembers. And so, is this a dangerous carol? Well, in one way, yes, if you believe it. If you believe it, then you can live life without any fear, with nothing to fear. And if anything, it should mark out those who belong to God. Those who belong to God, we don't live out in fear, do we? We live our lives in faith. Faith, not fear. I mean, Mary, she had much to fear. The public stigma and shame. The uncertain future, a possible divorce. But she didn't. Faith, not fear. And perhaps that should be a helpful reminder to us. The people of God, during this season, there is much to be afraid of today, isn't there? Our governments keep us afraid. Be afraid of this and that. Of course, the virus is around and it's mutating and there are different variants and it will continue. We'll fear another lockdown, fear of governments, what they'll do, fear of even death. But Christmas is God's way of saying, you are safe because you are mine, because your Saviour has come. And so you can sing with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived around the time of World War II. He was reflecting on this song. And in his sermon at Advent, he said, The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. These are the tones of the women prophets of the Old Testament that now come to life in Mary's mouth. Don't you just love that? And so if you think about this song, and if you were to put it to music, how would it sound? How would it feel? I asked our growth groups this week this question. Well, wouldn't it be one of those dirgy, mopey, slow, sad songs? 
And I was wondering, what type of song is that? I asked my daughter and she said, well, what about that Simon and Garfunkel's one? You know, the sound of silence. Hello, darkness. My old friend, I've come to talk to you again. Sad. It's not like that, right? Instead, it is a song of great joy and jubilation, just like what we sang before. Tell out my soul, the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. You see, it's the first Christmas carol that pierced into this dark world with the joy and hope and absolute assurance of the goodness of God. Mary sung it and sung by many throughout the centuries. But my question is this for you. Is this carol your carol as well? Not sung in the hope to topple any government, not that type of revolution, but sung because the revolution of God has already taken place in my heart, in my soul, and in my spirit. You see, you can only sing this song truly if Jesus is your saviour. And so if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your saviour, you don't really know him, you celebrate Christmas, but you don't know the Lord, maybe this Christmas is the one where you, like the Magi, bow your knee to the newborn king so that you can join in with the rest of us and sing Mary's carol. My saviour has come. My God has looked down upon my humble state. His mighty arm has acted and will continue to, and he has kept every single one of his promises. And so will Mary's joy be your joy too this Christmas? So that we sing that, that hymn before, Tell out my soul, the greatness of our Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father in heaven, there is so much our souls want to tell out because of your goodness to us. In this song of Mary, it is ours too. For her Saviour is ours, Lord Jesus Christ, who came that first Christmas that we might know you and be reconciled to you. Give us that joy, Lord, we pray this Christmas. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.